folks welcome back for another episode of triple g ginger's gridiron and golf podcast i am your host Stephen kerr aka the ginger and it feels good to be back in the saddle after an unforeseen week off folks i apologize about that uh, had some personal stuff come up that i had to uh, handle and um got caught with some scheduling over the uh f- over the couple days that we usually record the podcast so good to be back and lots to cover on this episode, and lots of football to talk. Golf, as we know, is winding down a little bit, but a couple big things that uh, have happened over the uh, the last couple weeks here that we want to pop into and get into. So we've got a busy episode and lots on the itinerary. We're going to talk about what we learned in Week 12 in football. We're going to talk about some of the contenders and pretenders that we learned. We're going to look at Week 13. Our big game matchup of the week. Hey, I wanted to get into a little bit of Chiefs and Broncos when uh, when we were looking at it last week. But as it went on, the Patriots win. The Bills win last week on a big Thursday night game against the Saints. So why not have Anthony Prohaska on from Cover 1 to talk the big Monday night matchup. First time since 2008. That Monday Night Football will return to Orchard Park, New York, and it's the New England Patriots and those Buffalo Bills. And then after break, we're going to kick it over into the world of golf. We're going to talk about a little bit of Tiger Woods and his press conference that happened earlier on today. little senior tour, some Canadian shout-outs, um, Saudi International, a big announcement in terms of uh, the field and what they got going on, and that will end off this week's episode here on Triple G. Folks, we are available on all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts. So make sure you uh, smash that subscribe button so it's auto-downloading every Wednesday morning. And uh, make sure you like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at GingerTripleG, as we have all of the up-to-date news posts and all of that stuff on all the social media side. Like we said, stay tuned. Um, in December here and into the new year for uh, some more YouTube stuff that we will have going on. So let's get into it. And we might as well start off with our big time Monday night matchup. And let's welcome in our guests. All right, Triple G listeners, real excited to have him on the show for the first time. He's a cover one podcast host that's pretty much everything with them in terms of um, some film review, fantasy stuff. Let's welcome to the show Anthony Prohaska. Anthony, you uh, you on the line with us? I most definitely am. 
Beautiful. Welcome to the show, my friend. And uh, no better way to have you on than uh, to talk some Buffalo Bills football. And we talked off air a little bit, and we heard that you're actually going to the game here on Monday night. How excited are you? What is your feeling? I know you were said you're a little bit nervous, but uh, you know how are you feeling about it? I'm super nervous. Like um, I'm excited. I had made plans before the season started. Uh, I I, I kind of had this game earmarked as one to go to. I, I've been to a bunch of those games, but I've never been to a primetime one. Um, I mean, granted, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Bills haven't had a lot of primetime games during my life. But uh, yeah, like I I'm excited, but I'm nervous. I hate the Patriots. This game is so important. Like, there's so much riding on this game. Whoever wins this game is really in prime shape to potentially win the AFC East, especially for New England. Like, if with the losses that the Bills have in the AFC already, if the Pats win this game, they, I don't want to say have a stranglehold on the division, but pretty darn close. And this game means a ton for the Bills. It means a ton for the Pats. The stadium's going to be rocking. I'm extremely excited and equally nervous and paranoid and worried and anxious. So yeah, that's, that's how I'm doing. Uh, well, it's going to be a long week then, but, but you're bet Anthony, you're bang on because you know, and, and I, correct me if I'm wrong and I don't know if I have the numbers exactly right, but I think it's, you know, the, the, the Patriots win this game and, and their percentage of winning the division goes up to, you know, 86% or something like that. Yeah. And I know, and I know I just looked before we came on air here, um, they win this game. They're at 61% to win the number one seed. If oh. the Bills lose, they're down to like 2%. Yeah. And then if they end up winning that game, they're up to about 20, 22%, depending on which website you go to for that number one seed. And then they would be up to, I think, 82 or 84 in terms of the division. So you're you're bang on. And, and that's how, you know, we came on Triple G here. We came to to this game as the biggest game of the week as we do our, our big game preview, as we, as we call it. But let's take a step back from that first, and, and let's talk about the Bills season in a whole. When I look at it, Anthony, you know, when, when we lined this schedule up way back in April and it, and it came out, we looked at it, and and I look at it now, and I, I try to take the, you know, the bigger picture into account. We're 7-4 and four going into this game. We know how big the game is, but are they not just a game back of where we thought they would be? Like you go through an 11 game stretch, you would have, would have had to think with the Steelers, the Titans, the chiefs, um, the dolphins twice. Now you got the Pats here in, in week 13. For me, I would have thought eight and three would have been a pretty solid record. How do you feel about it? I know the inconsistencies of the season hurts, but what are your thoughts overall about where the bills stand going into this game? Preseason, you know, predictions for, for myself, I did a, a prediction show for cover one, and I had the Bills going into this game as 8-3. and three. I thought they would lose to Kansas City. I thought they would lose to Tennessee, and I thought they would lose to Indianapolis. Um, I didn't have the losses, obviously, to Pittsburgh and to Jacksonville as well. But, yeah, they're, they're not too far off from a pretty healthy prediction. I think a lot of people would have had them around the – eight and three, maybe some people were a little more optimistic and had them around nine and two or potentially, you know, 10 and one or something like that, mm-hmm. but they're not too far off pace. I, I think it's the way that they've lost that has been the most kind of disconcerting thing for things for fans. The offense has sputtered at different times and they've looked inefficient. They started out inefficient in the red zone and then have just not looked on offensively like they did last year. I think a lot of people thought they would come out and just set the world on fire again. And defenses have adjusted big time to Josh Allen and to the Bills offense as a whole. And 
they've had to find their footing a little bit. And I think people see that and it gives them more cause for concern than the record itself. I think, I think seven and four would feel different if the way they've lost had been different, but they just got destroyed by the Colts and then had a really ugly loss to Jacksonville. And when you couple all that with even the way they've looked in their wins, I think that's the reason people are a little bit on edge when it comes into this week. Yeah. And that, and that makes sense. You mentioned, you mentioned Josh Allen there and, and let's take a, like a, a sky view of, of his season and what you've seen so far. We've seen all these metrics out here for the last <clears throat> two, three weeks in terms of 2020 to 2021 um, from all, from all your film review, everything you've looked at, what do you feel about the 2021 season for Josh Allen? Is it, is it a, is it a, you know, a repercussion of the raised expectation after everybody has that, you know, he sees the runner up in an MVP voting in, in 2020. And they think that, like you said, he's just going to roll through a 17 game season here. Or do you think he's been pretty solid overall and made some improvements in his game in terms of, you know, taking the profits and taking the easy money and, and the check down, if you will, um, and continuing to keep this offense a high octane offense and, and top five in the NFL. I don't think he's been as bad as people want to make him out to be. I don't think he's played at the level that he did last year, but he's still been very good and extremely good in spots. I, I think what you're seeing from him this year and from the offense as a whole, they're being played much differently by defenses, you know, even just from, from like a basic COVID perspective, right? Like COVID off season last year, there's barely any in-person practicing and that hurts defenses more than offenses because defenses are, you have to react to what's going on in front of you. The defenses are reading offenses. They're more reactionary than they are in terms of dictating the pace a lot of times. And in order to play sound defense, you need tremendous communication and you need tremendous chemistry. You need that offensively as well. But when you're in a more reactionary position on your heels, like in the defense, you need those in-person reps. So defenses don't have that last year combined with the way the bills changed their offense and went full spread and how they attacked last year. I think they caught a lot of people off guard coming into this year. It's just been a change from defenses. One, there's no COVID off season. So they're able to build chemistry and rapport more coming into this year. But two, you've got this entire off season to study film on the bills offense. So you're seeing less blitzes. You're seeing less man coverage. You're seeing less single high coverage. You're seeing defenses show two high coverages both post-snap and pre-snap, and they're also playing a lot of zone coverage with that, making Josh Allen beat them with those checkdowns and those dink and dunk plays. They've taken away the shot plays. They've tried to take away the chunk plays. They're trying to squeeze windows and make life hard for Josh Allen, and they have because that, that that's, a, that's a harder thing to succeed against if you're any quarterback, but especially when you've had a banged-up offensive line like the Bills have – Teams have been able to pressure Josh Allen with three and four rushers. And then at that point, it's just, you know, you're just talking numbers. You've got five offensive linemen, right? And a quarterback. That's six players right there. Max, max, what you can do from there is five people go out and run routes, right? If you rush four, that means you've got seven on defense and coverage. That's seven against five. If you rush three, that's eight. That's eight against five. And if you can get pressure with those three or those four, while you're, you have numbers and coverage, it's a huge advantage for the defense. And that's been working 
for defenses this year, playing zone, playing too high coverage, keeping everything in front of them, and also getting pressure with limited numbers and not having to blitz. And it's caused some problems for the Bills. And then you add in, again, the banged up offensive line and the poor play up front. Cole Beasley's injury is something that I think has had a huge impact. We've seen him play, but that rib injury has been a very legitimate hindrance to his game. And when you've got teams playing zone against you, and you have somebody like Cole Beasley who destroys zone coverage underneath, but he's not able to really go full tilt, that's something that is going to affect you as well. So all things considered, I think he's still having a good year. Um, He's still a very good quarterback. He's just not hitting the stride that he hit last year. Um, But also not to kind of give him an excuse. Like, I think that's a pretty fair thing. Like he, he had a ridiculous year last year, almost like, 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 like when Lamar had his MVP year and then the next year, everybody was like, man, he looks so bad. And it's like, yeah, because the year he had before was unreal. Like at some point things have to come down a bit. He's still playing good. There's just a lot working against him at this point. It's just a matter of whether or not they can find their footing and kind of right the ship. Yeah. A little bit of both, a little bit of victim of expectation and and a little bit of, like you said, changing, changing the defense. So you mentioned film and, and, the defense is playing a little different. And I'm going to skip by my next question because you kind of segued right into uh, another question that I had. Okay. And and I want to get your take on it. And, and I'll give you my take first before, you know, and you can give your thoughts on what you think here. And it's in terms of how you feel this Bill's offense is going to attack the Patriots defense here on Monday night and how you feel Bill Belichick is going to attack the Bill's offense. My thought is, is that, you know, and in here all the time, and it's it's no new thought in terms of, you know, Bill Belichick's always going to take away your your number one weapon. And we know that Stefan Diggs. And I also think he's going to look at, you know, the logical progression would be, OK, you know, you go down the wide receiver list in terms of, you know, we're going to go Diggs first and then Sanders and Beasley and and Gabe Davis as the number four. But I think he's going to look at the Bill's biggest red zone threat in the one of the Bills' biggest tight end targets, and that's Dawson Knox. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think going into this game, Belichick's really going to look at Diggs and Knox as kind of the two big threats for Buffalo, which kind of breaks it down for me as I think Sanders, Beasley, and these running backs in terms of the check down and Matt Breida's emergence in the passing game, being able to catch a, a screen against the Saints on Thursday night for a TD. He caught a TD against the Jets there in that in that first possession on the field for him. I think Sanders Beasley and the running backs are going to be crucial for the Bills offense to, one, stay in good down and distance, and two, be able to continue to move these chains and kind of take body blows on this Patriots defense and then be able to hit the big shot with maybe a Knox or a Diggs at some point when the defense is a little bit tired. What do you think? I, I, I think you're almost you know pretty spot on there. It's, it, it's a Patriots defense that is versatile and is multiple. They're technically sound, they're well coached, but they're also physical and they're also very good against the pass on second and third downs. Mm-hmm. And I think they try and make the Bills one-dimensional, which a lot of teams have been able to do because of the Bills' lack of commitment to a certain degree to the running game. So I think the Bills need to establish a running game early in this game, whether it's Singletary or whether it's Breida. I prefer it to be Matt Breida. I think he opens up another level and layer to this offense with his speed and his ability to set up blocks, especially against a Patriots defense that they're physical, they're well-coached, they're technically sound, 
they're not a, de- a defense that's tremendously fast. Like Dante Hightower is a tremendous linebacker. He's not very fast. JC Jackson has some speed. McCordy has some speed, but they don't have a ton of that in the front seven. I think trying to use Brita and adding that speed um, to attack them in that in their front seven is going to be a big thing for this game. And then as far as what the Pats take away, yeah, yeah, I think you're almost spot on. I think that's why you need that running game. Like whether Belichick makes Stephon Diggs priority number one or he makes Dawson Knox priority number one. We know J.C. Jackson, who a terrific corner for the Pats. He remembers what happens last year, what happened last year in New England when Diggs beat him several times. I think they're really going to try and make the Bills beat them with the run and beat them underneath. I I wouldn't expect a lot of deep shots. The only way the Bills are going to get deep shots is if they make the Patriots play single high or they make the Patriots have to come up. So I would expect to see the Bills use a little more heavier personnel. Um, They've been doing a lot of that over the last couple of weeks, throwing in Ryan Bates as a sixth offensive lineman, using multiple tight end sets, using multiple running back sets, um, trying to use personnel and formations to make the defense have to come out of those two high coverages and allow Josh Allen to go under center, use play action and attack in the intermediate to deep areas. So it's going to be a real chess match to see what the bills can do from an attack perspective. But I think as it has for the last several weeks, ever since really Pittsburgh showed what can happen in week one, I think it all starts with the Bills running game, whether it's Singletary, whether it's Brita, whether it's Josh Allen, whether it's coming off of read options, whether it's coming off of zone or gap runs, whatever it is, that running game is where it all starts because if the Bills go to a one-dimensional team, look, if they go to that spread, just pass it offense, it's possible it can work, but the Patriots are prepared for that and they're well set up to attack with that, given how good their front four is and rushing the passer, especially with the year Matthew Judon is having, and then with how strong they are in the secondary. So the Bills got to keep them off balance. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? It's it's something, you're right, that I think can work. And, and there's no better time with two, you know, as I put it, big nasties coming back into the lineup by the sounds of it. You know, you, you've got John Feliciano back at practice today, Spencer Brown uh, coming off of that COVID list. So those are two guys that, that are not only going to improve the offensive line in terms of allowing Spencer Brown to go back at right tackle and Daryl Williams slots in at right guard. And, and then Feliciano takes out Ike Bucker at that left guard spot. Um, but they also provide a little bit of nastiness in there as well, which is really well timed to go up against a Patriots front seven. That's man for man, probably more talented than the bills in terms of yeah, like you said, defensive sure. line to offensive line and performing better at this point in time in the season. So it's it's really well timed for the Bills to get a little bit healthier and get a little bit a little bit better. To your other point as well, I agree. Matt Breida also to me provides a dimension that, you know, with with um Singletary and Moss, the, you know, they've really got to hold their blocks. I find that Breida with that speed, he can get up onto that that blocking mm-hmm. level and into the second level at the linebacker and secondary level. Yes. to allow those offensive linemen to release the block. So I find it a little bit easier for the O-line to, to maybe look better, if that makes sense, Anthony, in terms of the run game, because they're not having to hold the blocks for as long as they would with Singletary or Moss uh, toting the rock. Does that make sense? Oh, a thousand percent. And it's it's something I've said on my show several times and echoed throughout the last several weeks when I've been kind of clamoring for Matt Breida and you hit it right on the head. If you are a 
if you're an offensive lineman and you know, so speed isn't everything for a running back. Like I, I just want to preface this by saying that speed isn't mm-hmm. everything, but it makes the job easier for an offensive line if they don't have to hold their blocks as long or they don't have to open as wide of a hole because they have a running back who's very fast and who can get to the line of scrimmage faster and get to the second level faster. Like it's, it's just pure, I don't want to say science or physics, but it's what it is like Moss and Singletary take longer to get to their, get to the hole from one because of their speed, but also two because of the way their run styles are. Brita helps that and it allows a, an offensive line that isn't the best and isn't the most talented. It makes their life a little easier because all they have to do is just impede the defenders a little bit. And then you got a guy who's so fast that all he needs is that little bit of daylight and that little bit of time. And he can turn a, a small amount of time and a small block into a big gain. So yeah, you're spot on with that. Yeah. Let's flip over now, uh, Anthony, over to the, the defensive side of the ball and, and how the Bills are going to attack this this Patriots offense. Um, Trey White, we know, is done for the year now with that, with that torn ACL. What are we going to see from from Dane Jackson? Give our, our listeners a little kind of breakdown of, of Dane and, and maybe even Cam Lewis in terms of what we can see that may be different from Trey and, you know, what are – things that McDermott can do to put them in a position of strength. I've seen, you know, Eric Turner and some of the cover one stuff in terms of breaking down Dane and, and kind of putting, putting the bills uh, fans or bills mafia fans, uh, you know, worries at ease a little bit that, Hey, this guy isn't all bad. He's, he does have some, some strengths that the, that can actually help the bills, especially in terms of, of tackling and, and run game assignments. Yeah. You, your last point there, I'll start with that. It's, it's decent in this game. I say decent because I don't want to take anything away from Dane Jackson, but Tredavious White is an all-pro corner. He's one yeah. of the best at, at the position in the league. He, he's phenomenal. But Dane Jackson is very good coming forward. He's very good in run support. He's very good at setting the edge. He's very good at crack replace and coming up from the secondary. He's a sure tackler. He's physical. Like that, That's a helpful aspect coming into a game against a team that wants to run the ball. This Patriots identity on offense at this point, it's nothing crazy. Mac Jones is going to work those short and intermediate areas. He doesn't throw deep a lot, um, especially in comparison to Josh Allen. So you know you're going to get most of his throws coming between 0 and 19 yards with the majority of that coming between 0 and 9. And they're going to run the ball on top of that. They have two really good running backs, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson are both very good. Brandon Bolden's a talented third down back. They have a physical, mean offensive line. They've got two tight ends that are versatile and can block, but are also good in the passing game. So the Pats are going to come out. They're going to want to establish the run. And then they're going to build that play action on top of that. Matt Jones last week against Tennessee was 12 of 13, I believe, off of play action on the year. He's 81 of 105 and with a a 77% completion percentage, I believe he's, he's just very efficient in play action. And everything from this offense stems from making life simple for him. Run the ball, go short in an intermediate play action, attack through the center of the defense. So from the Bills perspective with Dane Jackson, 
I expect to see a lot of zone. Dane Jackson's a very good zone corner. Like, and I don't say very good, you know, lightly or with a sense of, ex- of exaggeration. He's got familiarity with Sean McDermott's style of defense because he played in that style of defense at the University of Pittsburgh for head coach Pat Narduzzi. He's very good in leveraging space in coverage. He's good at reading his receiver through looking towards the quarterback and keeping his zone eyes onto the quarterback. He's sound in zone coverage. He has his limitations physically, and that's where we're going to see him be tested throughout the rest of this year. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. He's not the most athletic, but he's technically sound. He's aggressive. He's got a good head on his shoulders. And in a game where the opponent in the Patriots doesn't have, they have good weapons, but they're not the most threatening. Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne yeah, Kendrick on the Bourne, outside. Yeah. Exactly. Like they're they're good. Um so Kendrick Bourne had a very good week against Tennessee, but they're not the type that are going to necessarily give Dane Jackson problems right out of the gate. So I would expect to see a lot more zone coverage from the Bills. I mean, they're a predominantly zone coverage team anyway, but they like to mix in man coverage. They like to mix single high with two high and disguise coverage pre and post snap. So I expect them to maybe water that down a little bit to make life easier for Dane and allow him to succeed um, based off of his strengths and crowd the line of scrimmage um, to try and stop this running game. Cause the, the Patriots are going to come out and try and play the brand of football that the Colts played against the bills. They're going to look to pound the bills on the interior. They're going to look to maul them with gap runs. They'll run zone from time to time, but this is a physical offense. Ramon J. Stevenson's a physical back. Damien Harris is a physical back and they are physical all along the offensive line on the outside and the interior. So I expect everything to start with that run game. And if they can get success with that, you're going to see play action. And whenever Mac Jones throws, you're going to see quick passes. They love going quick game. Mac Jones has the fifth fastest time to throw in the NFL. So in terms of from the time he snaps the ball to the time the ball leaves his hand. So it's very, I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady, but it's very Tom Brady-like. You see yeah. that snap, one, two, three, throw. Snap, one, two, three, throw. He likes to be on rhythm. He likes to be on time. The Bills are going to have to stop the run and get him off rhythm in order to have success against the Patriots' offense. And is that is, is that that's probably your simplest form in terms of if they can do that? Do you think um, that this that, you know that they can go ahead and win this game and really slow this offense down? Does it really become that simple for for the Bills? You think? I really think it does. I yeah. I like what Mac Jones has done this year, and I think he got a lot of flack from people, um, you know, throughout training camp and the draft process, and people thought he wasn't a good quarterback, and I think he's exceeded almost everyone's expectations. But this game comes down to making Mac Jones beat you. And if Mac Jones comes out and he goes 28 to 35 and he throws for 300 yards and three touchdowns, then – you know, it sucks, but you tip your hat and you keep tip moving. Your cap but, yep. Exactly. But yep. what you cannot do, you cannot allow Damian Harris to get going and Ramondre Stevenson to get going. You have to make life as difficult for Mac Jones as possible. And if he comes into your house on prime time and he makes throws and he beats you, it is what it is. But you have to do anything and everything to prevent to present as many hurdles and obstacles to that as happening as possible. So yeah, it starts with stopping that run game and making life difficult for Mac Jones in terms of what coverages he sees and making him think he's going to see a, and then actually throwing him B. And then when he thinks he's going to see B you throw him X and C and trying to keep him off balance. So yeah, it's all going to start with that and you have to make Mac Jones beat you. And if he does kudos to him. 
Yeah. Um, a couple more questions and we'll get you out of here, Anthony. Okay. So in saying that in terms of, of, you know, stopping the run, how important is the return of star then? Because we've mm-hmm. seen a, a pretty good step here in year three from Ed Oliver. But yes. one thing that I, that I seen in terms of comparison from the saints game to the Colts game and I know the Patriots used to do it against Kyle Williams, so they are Belichick and, and McDaniels are familiar with it. Is in that Colts game we see a we've seen a lot of a lot of wham and a lot of trap blocks and yes. some trap wham, if you will, in terms of allowing the penetrating that Oliver to get up the field. And then they would swing Jack Doyle across the formation and and wham him inside or trap him inside. And yes. And yeah. so you know, for me, I had Ed as one of the X factors of this game, if you will, because I think with Star being able to eat up some of those blocks on the on the interior from some of those, you know, mauling Patriots offensive linemen, I think Ed can get back to that penetration. And even if they do wham him, I think Star's going to be able to at least chew up a couple more blocks to allow Milano and Edmonds at that second level to be able to come inside or roam sideline to sideline and clean up some of these runs. What are your thoughts on that? I think you're spot on. Again, you know, Ed, Ed, Ed has had a tremendous year for the Bills. He really has. And it's a shame it's not showing up on the raw stats in terms of sacks and things. But his get off, his hand usage, his ability to penetrate has legitimately been revelatory this year for the Buffalo Bills. He is really rounding into form as a troop force um, along the defensive line for the Buffalo Bills. And in the Colts mm-hmm. game, you hit it right on the head they used his ability to penetrate and they used his get off against him by allowing him to get through and then trapping him. Yeah. Jack Doyle had a phenomenal game in that regard. And that goes to show that sometimes, you know, penetration and get off that can work against you. You know, Ed got off the ball so fast and got into the backfield, but that he took himself out of the play and created these huge gaps for Jonathan Taylor to run through. So I think he learned from that a bit. He played a bit more under control against the Saints. And when you add somebody like Star Ratulale back to that defensive line, one, it just adds another quality body inside. You know, Vernon Butler was not getting the job done. It's the reason we saw him um, basically as a healthy scratch. Yep. Uh, I know it's a hockey term, but it is what it is. Uh, as a healthy scratch this past game. And we saw Eli Anku and... Brandon Bryan gets some snaps because they were trying to see what they could get on that interior star is a next level player compared to them. He's smart. He's technically sound. He's able to eat up blocks, but he's also had a, had a couple games where he has, he's had good penetration. He's been showing that when he gets one-on-one opportunities, he's able to get in the backfield against the run. And when it comes to the pass rush as well. So the Bills rely heavily on their front four when it comes to their defense. So if you add in another quality body like Star Latulale, it helps the whole defense. It takes some of the load off of Ed Oliver, which allows him to stay fresher and work in the areas of success that he's built for and set up for. So Star coming back is huge, especially, again, against the team that wants to be physical up front, wants to run the ball up front. Star adds a little bit of quiet nastiness um, in addition to technique and sound fundamentals that'll help the rest of the defense. And, you know, again, because of his ability to stay strong at the point of attack, a point you also mentioned, it keeps Milano clean, it keeps Tremaine Edmonds clean, and we're going to need that because they're going to have to be flying all around the field. Yeah, I agree for sure. Real simple. We'll keep it short and easy on this last question here, and then we'll we'll get you out of here, Anthony. Give us one X factor, one on the offensive side of the ball and one on the defensive side of the ball for this game. 
Ooh, offense. I'm going to stick with Matt Breida. I, I, I think your thought that we spoke about where Belichick wants to take away your best thing, it's going to be something in the passing game, whether it's Stefan Diggs, whether it's Dawson Knox, or whether it's who's not involved in that passing game to be an X factor and make plays. And I think that guy has to be Matt Breida. And if Matt Breida's making plays, um, that means it's going to cause problems for the Pats defense and it opens things up for Josh Allen in the passing offense. On defense, ooh, I am going to go with Levi Wallace. I think Moore gets Love put it. on the plate of Levi Wallace now. I think he, the Bills are going to, no, no one's going to have that Tredavious White workload, right? Like where the Bills would just leave Trey one-on-one at certain times right. and they would play zone, especially when teams would go in three-by-one sets. They'll play zone to the trip side and then leave Trey in one-on-one situations um, with a receiver by himself. I don't think Levi gets put into those exact scenarios, but Levi is going to start to have games where he has to be matched up against the best Patriots receiver or whatever team they're playing and I wouldn't be surprised if just to you know ease things in for Dane if they shaded a little bit over the top for him and and tried to get him to you know establish himself early on which means maybe there's some one-on-one opportunities for Patriots guys against Levi Um, and if Levi can hold his own and shut things down I think that goes a long way towards reshaping the face of this defense for this game and going forward. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and as, as soon as you mentioned that, I think of a guy like Aguilar, right, who's got that speed, who, you know, he's not Kendrick Bourne, he's he's not Myers, where, you know, he's a little bit more of a tactician and a route runner, and they're going to work that short to intermediate stuff. Mm-hmm. Aguilar can, can beat you over the top with, with that speed. We've seen that in, in, in Vegas, and we've seen that in Philly. So yeah. I think uh, right away, there's a guy that could ch- really challenge Levi early. So you're right, I think him getting his confidence and maybe making a play or two could really go a long way in this game. Anthony, we're going to let you go. This has been an absolute blast. We're going to have to have you on again, um, maybe in the playoffs or in the offseason, and, and really break down some more X's and O's. I, I truly love this. But uh, let our listeners know before you go where we can find all your stuff, all your content. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores A-N-T. I host a live show for the Cover One Sports Network called Disguised Coverage. That's live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I am one of three co-hosts for the Cover One post game show that goes live about 10 to 15 minutes after every single Bills game. I am also one of three hosts for the Cover One Fantasy Football Show that's live on Thursdays at 7.45, leaving, leading you into Thursday Night Football. And then I'm also a co-host of the Cover One Film Room with Mr. Eric Turner, and that is live on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And you can find me doing all those things and on Twitter. And, yeah, that's me. Beautiful, Anthony. That was an absolute blast. Appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the game on Monday night, my friend. Thanks. I'm going to be very nervous and very tense. And uh, yeah, I had an absolute blast of a time. Thank you so much for having me on. And anytime you want me back, I'm yours. That was an absolute blast talking with Anthony there from Cover One. Folks, if you haven't had the opportunity, please subscribe to Cover One. It is absolutely phenomenal work from all of um, the um, prognosticators on there and uh, analysts on there as well, doing, like they said, film fantasy uh, preview review episodes um, a lot of live stuff right on the spot so it's absolutely great stuff 
I uh, personally am a big fan of uh, of Anthony and Eric Turner um, on some of the film stuff that they do. As uh, those that know me close, I'm a little bit of a film junkie in terms of the NFL, and it's tough to get. It's tough to get up here in Canada, and, and um, they used to have it on NFL Game Pass when it first came out um, and was introduced to Canada that first season, and, and boy, I loved it. But uh, it got taken away from from the Canadian users uh, up here, so that was uh, was unfortunate to me. So uh, don't get as much all twenty two game film and game film period up here in Canada that that I would like to see, but um, are able to get it through Cover One. Um, so it's absolutely great. Love breaking down uh, the film and seeing uh, how certain positions players are performing within their specific uh, role on the offense or defensive side. So it's great to see. But um, thanks again for Anthony for coming on. Great um, kind of preview for that matchup and talking a little bit of Buffalo Bills, which is near and dear to my heart. My prediction for the game, um, and you kind of got a feel for it as I talked to Anthony, but uh, the Bills are going to need to take the profits. I see Belichick coming out. I look at last year's matchup first. Uh and I see a lot of man, and the the Bills tore him apart. You know, like they said, like uh, Anthony mentioned, Diggs tore apart J.C. Jackson. And I, I know they didn't have a lot of these big name players. You know, Kyle Van Noy was in Miami at the time. Dante Hightower was was on a COVID holdout. Um, so a couple of these big Lawrence guy, I believe, was hurt, or maybe even another COVID uh, COVID holdout. The addition of Matthew Judon makes a big difference on that side, and Buffalo is really going to have to keep an eye on um, where he is at all times because uh, not only is he getting the sack numbers, he's also getting the pressure numbers, so he's a game-changer in terms of pass rush and pressures. But they played a lot of man on the back end, and they, they tried to challenge Buffalo, and they didn't have the horses up front to get to Josh Allen, and the Bills were able to block him up and, and give Allen that extra second or two and give those wide receivers more time to separate. We know those Bills wide receivers can separate, specifically Diggs and Beasley, who were there last year. And now we have Sanders. Uh, John Brown was more of that deep threat tactician type of thing as well. So now we have the separators in Sanders, Beasley, Diggs. I see New England coming out, playing a lot of zone, like Anthony mentioned, trying to let that front seven beat up on a underperforming Bills offensive line right now. Listen, the Bills' offensive line hasn't been healthy hasn't been healthy lately, but it, like we said, it's getting healthier, so they may be able to withstand if they can give Allen a little bit more time. I think he's going to be able to pick them apart. If not, he's got to be able to um, diagnose the defense quickly and get the ball out into the open hands of the receiver. To me, if I'm Brian Dayball, I'm trying to draw up some plays early on to to everybody let's get the ball in everybody's hands and let's try to get Belichick out of that game plan and that'll allow Diggs later on in the game to kind of come into the game and maybe take a a a lead role and really try to get them out of that zone defense get them into a positive game script and get them out of that spot so that's where I see the Bills can have a little bit of um, advantage and hopefully they can perform and, and be able to do that and force New England's hand and it'll also force New England's hand um, offensively and for the Bills' defense as well. And New England offensively will get their hand forced in terms of if they find themselves in a negative game script, i.e. if the Bills are up 17-7 midway through the the second quarter or uh, leading into the second half, and the Bills keep pushing the envelope, 
Now they've got to come away from that run game. Mac Jones has to take a little bit more of a reading, leading role. And that, to me, is where he hasn't proven it yet. He did a little bit in the Tennessee game. I was impressed. I watched a lot of that football game. And they weren't re- so reliant on the run early on. It was a lot of Mac Jones and being able to uh, push the ball intermediate and a little bit deeper on that Tennessee defense. But the Tennessee defense is not the Buffalo Bills defense. I think Buffalo is going to be ready to play. They're they're pretty much fully healthy other than Trey White, um, which is a huge loss. Like Anthony said, they're not going to be able to do some of the multiple things in terms of you know splitting the field and, and saying you know Trey's man on, on this side. We're going to play zone on the other side, and it's it just so helpful when you can do that because now you have four, four or five guys on that trip side of the field covering three guys. Now the now the advantage is on your side. Um, when Trey can lock it up on the other side, now you may only have you know three on three, three two on two, so you're still covered up, but it, it becomes a lot more of a task to be able to do some of those things without Trey White. But I think if they can get Mac in Jones, Mac Jones in third and long and longer distances, they're going to have success. I think that pass rush will be able to get home. He'll hold on to the ball, and he's not mobile. Even when he runs, it's only going to be five, six, seven yards. So if you can get him into third and eight, third and nine, third and ten by stopping the run, maybe getting an incompletion on second down, or getting that incompletion on first down, you know, short two, three yard run on second down. Um, then you're going to be able to get home on a sack or two, cause a negative play, maybe force them into a, an interception or two, and you can go ahead and win this game. But if the Patriots are able to run the ball, um, it's going to be a long and, and close night for Buffalo. I don't see the Patriots blowing the Bills out unless the Bills turn the ball over like they did against the Colts. So if they protect the ball, I think it's going to be a close game no matter what in terms of uh, New England winning or Buffalo winning. But I think if... New England turns the ball over or gets into some of those longer third downs. I think Buffalo's got the opportunity to blow them out. So I I can see Buffalo blowing out New England by 10-plus like they've done to every team in the league. That's just how Buffalo plays. They When they win, they blow them out. When they lose, they lose close. So I think I can definitely see that in this game. But let's move on to uh, what we learned here in Week 12 and into Week 13 in the NFL. Week 12, what we learned. Um... I didn't quite, I I almost had it as a ginger's garbage, but I didn't quite make it there. But I got a bone to pick with the NFL. And it comes on Thanksgiving. You know, you're already up against it with three, to me, subpar games uh, in terms of just, not not the matchups and the teams. Hey, I'm not going to pick the bone about Detroit and Dallas and, and, you know, the, the home games. Tradition's tradition. Thanksgiving's a traditional holiday. I'm I'm okay with that, but you were up against it. Okay, the Bears are struggling, so now that first matchup's not not so sexy. The second matchup, uh, you know, we we know what's happened with Vegas with some of their stars. They're reeling three straight losses. Dallas is inconsistent and and missing C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. Um, the Saints are completely banged up in a shell of themselves offensively against a Buffalo inconsistent squad. So the matchups were not not huge. You know, they weren't brutal, but they they weren't huge. But but you roll out from a referee's perspective and you call 28 penalties. You threw over 35 flags in the Raiders-Cowboys game. The game took almost four, 
almost four hours to play. And it was absolutely hard to watch. And this is your most watched NFL game, maybe this year, but definitely to date. Um, and you want to you want to gain fans, and that's what you're gonna. That's the product that you're gonna show to millions upon millions. And and what we got to keep in mind is, is that there's people out here, not only in Canada but definitely in America, that these are the only game, really games that they sit down and truly watch. Because their family's doing it. And it's a Thanksgiving tradition. And, you know, hey, we watch the football game on, on Thursday. And we're going to watch a little bit before. We'll watch the first half. Maybe we'll put it on a little PVR. We'll have we'll have dinner. And then we'll come and watch the second half. And, and you're going to roll out that game. Um, that was hard to watch. Let alone the first game. Which was hard enough to watch. Horrendous coaching by Matt Nagy and Dan, and Dan Campbell. To end the game and, and throughout the second half. But once again, 15 penalties total, almost 25 flags thrown, um, absolutely garbage. Luckily, the Bills came out and hopped on uh, the Saints early, and um, you know that game was over by midway through the uh, the third quarter. So the penalty parade didn't need to continue into uh, you know an all day parade, if you will, on Thanksgiving. But um, NFL's really got to sit down and look at you know what what can we what are we calling what are we focusing on. And and how can we continue to improve our product and provide a little bit of flow because those first two games were really really tough to watch, um, and not just from a football perspective, but from like I said, from a from a referee's perspective, from a game flow, um, just absolute garbage. So that was not very good. But let's flip over and flip a negative into a positive because you know I'm a positive guy and you know I like my tough physical football i'm not an old school guy it's a new game i know how the game's played in 2021 it's a pass first league no doubt and it's been that way for many many years now almost a decade but god i love when i get to see old school football and teams running the ball and i mentioned this a few weeks back about you know old school football's back and bring your big boy pads and, and hear the sound but i want to clarify it also a little bit in terms of you know, this whole, you know, you always hear the word balance and, and this, you know, precon pre preconceived notion about run pass balance and it's, and it's force fed, uh, from, from a network perspective, CBS and, and NBC and, and ESPN on, on Monday night of, oh, we got 20, 24 runs and 26 passes. And there's a thing called, you know, neutral, uh, neutral run and pass, uh, calls in terms of, when it's a when the game's close, what are you calling? What is the, when the game script's tight? You know, i.e. seven seven in the in the first quarter. That's a neutral game script. What are you calling? You calling a run? You calling a pass on first down? So, to me, what I was impressed was when what I've learned learned here in week twelve is is that you've got to be able to run the ball when teams know you can run the ball. That's the key, right? To me, it's a pass league in those neutral games. If you want to be aggressive and you want to get the game script in your favor, you want to get a lead. So then you can run the ball, right? There's not too many teams. There's only a few. New England, Tennessee, 49ers are really, truly the teams that play. And even a little bit of Washington. But they had an inferior opponent on Monday night against uh, against Seattle. Russell Wilson does not look right. But... It's the ability to run the ball when the other team knows you're going to run the ball. And, and that's what we've seen. We've seen it. Hey, 
Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Mixon, 28 runs for a buck 65, two TDs. The Dolphins get a positive game script. Miles Gaskin, 16 carries. Um, Philip Lindsay, 12 carries. Um, Ahmad, 5 carries. So you're 33 carries on a positive game script. Two only throws the ball 34 times, 38 dropbacks. The Broncos, uh, Gordon with 17 carries. My man, Javante Williams, who's going to be a stud. Uh, so 31 runs on 130, uh, or sorry, 31 runs for over 130 yards in a positive game script. They, they hopped out early to a 14-0 lead. The 49ers, we don't need to say much. Eliza Mitchell with another 27 carries. Debo Samuel, who is absolutely electric with the ball in his hands. So 36 times for over 200 yards against a pretty good Minnesota Vikings defense against the run. And then Green Bay. Uh, 20 carries for A.J. Dillon, 10 for, for uh, Aaron Jones, you know, for 95 yards, but it's that the ability to close it out with the run. So nice to see uh, New England and Washington. You can throw them in there as well. So that continues to be an important part and will continue to be an important part for these playoff teams in closing out football games. So we're going to have to continue to see that. And that's where I learned that these good teams and these winning teams have the ability to do that. The Buffalo Bills are going to need to show that, no doubt. Contenders, we're keeping the Chiefs up there, folks. The Baltimore Ravens, hey, you can throw four picks and still win the football game. That's pretty darn impressive. So we're going to keep the Ravens up there in the AFC. The Green Bay Packers in the NFC continue to be up there. My pretenders, the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC are a pretender. I've also got the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hey, I know we're seeing the game almost T minus a week from or just over team just over a week from tonight. Tuesday, November 30th as we record this podcast, the Steelers 5-5 and 1 in a tough and big matchup against those Baltimore Ravens this week which we'll get into shortly here, but they're a pretender. Got absolutely dominated by those Bengals. And the Browns I think it's just about time they're in tough. And the Eagles and the Panthers. Uh, I thought the Eagles going into this week had a real opportunity to put a stranglehold on their playoff push and really start to push the Dallas Cowboys and to come out and lay an absolute dud against the New York Giants. Um, I think it's just about done. I'd have to say Washington, Sam Fran, and Minnesota have the leading edge on that um, seventh spot. In the NFC, I think teams like the Panthers and the Eagles might be pushing it, and you could almost say that they are cooked. Folks, that's what we learned in Week 12. That's my contenders and pretenders as we move into Week 13. And not a great week. We've got four teams on a bye. We've got uh, the Carolina Panthers, Cleveland Browns, who absolutely need it. They're banged up. The Green Bay Packers and the Tennessee Titans. But to me, we've got 14 matchups this week. Really, there's only about five big-time matchups, so not the best week in terms of how the schedule laid out. The following week, 14, is a huge week. Tons of big, big matchups. Um, you've got 49ers and Bengals, which, of which I'll be at live. We've got uh, Bills and Bucks, which is an, uh, will be a big matchup. We've got Steelers, Vikings, and many more. So there's a f- f- many, many big-time matchups coming up into Week 14, and we'll get into that next week live from Minnesota and Cincinnati with some of our content that we've got coming out. Folks, we'll be at those games live, so look out for that next week. In terms of this week, 
it can be said in one sentence, and it's the week of the home dog. We've got eight home dogs this week. We've got the Saints four-point home dogs to the Cowboys, 47.5 on the game line. We've got the Bears eight-point home dog to the Cardinals, 45.5 on the game line. We've got the Jets six and a half to seven wherever you find it against the Eagles home dog 45 on the game line we've got the Texans plus nine to the Colts um, 45 again that seems to be the, the the big number and we've got the Lions seven point home dog to the Vikings 46 and a half on the the game line the Steelers four point home dog to the Ravens 44 I love the under here folks that's going to be a 2017, 23-17. So 44 is way too high. Hammered the under in that one. We've got the Bucks, um, who are favored. So the Falcons, 11-point home dog, 50.5 on the game line to the Bucks. I do like the Falcons there. They're a different team with Cordell Patterson in the lineup. Um, he's got to be a top five back this year in the NFL. Just specifically looking at 2021. I'm not saying overall or moving forward, but this is his kind of breakout season at running back. We'll see if he can keep it uh, going moving forward once teams have a little bit of time to, to uh, you know, regroup and look at some film. The Seahawks, three and a half point home dog, 45 on the game line to the San Francisco 49ers. I love the Niners there. Seahawks are cooked. Russell Wilson ain't right. Three and eight. That team's done. Um, I would hammer San Fran on that one for sure. So it's the week of the home dog. Not some great matchups. Nothing kind of jumps off the page. But there is four or five big matchups, and let's get into them. We'll start Sunday at 1 o'clock. Chargers and Bengals. Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert. Bengals are three-point favorites. Looking to keep it going. Looking to go 8-4, and four, and I think they're going to do it. I think the 49ers are going to win, and I think the Bengals are going to win, and... Ginger and Dutch will be heading to Cincinnati, which has been flexed to a 425 start on December 12th. And it will be um, a big matchup there. But uh, I like Joe Burrow at home, minus three against uh, Justin Herbert. Uh, just Chargers are lost right now. I think they, I don't think they have an, an, an identity, offensively or defensively. And I think uh, they're just going to, kind of mix and match their way win loss wise to the end of the season and I just they're going to need to run here quick all the way back to 6 and 5 now that was a tough defeat to the Broncos so it'll be uh it'll be real interesting to see the next one we go to our 405 start and we've got the Washington football team at 5 and 6 holding on to that 7th spot in the NFC home to or on the road to the Las Vegas Raiders so a big matchup I believe the Raiders open up at two and a half or three point favorites here this is a big matchup for both teams and we've talked about um, you know games that we felt were win or loss games in terms of missing the playoffs this one I think for for Las Vegas is that I think Washington could afford to, to drop one and still be right in the mix for that spot because of that seven and down seeding in in the NFC is is that bad, but uh, in terms of the AFC, you just can't have that. Yeah, um, you know you, you're gonna you think the the Broncos will lose to uh, to Kansas City. If the Bengals hold on, then you, you know you've got to hope 
Um, you know, if Buffalo loses, they're only going to be seven and five. So there is a possibility that the Raiders could drop this one and fall to six and six and still be okay. But if if things don't fall quite your way, you know, Buffalo wins and and uh, somehow the Broncos win or 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 the Chargers win. Uh, you're fighting an uphill battle in, from uh, from Las Vegas, so a big, big matchup. God will handle your business at home. And to close it out, we've already talked about the Monday Nighter, which we know is probably the biggest or second biggest matchup to this one. Sunday Night Football, 8-20. The Denver Broncos, 10-point underdogs, cat, traveling to Kansas City for a big matchup, 6-5, and 7-4 in that AFC West. It's the best division in football of my mind, and it'll continue. Great to see this matchup get flexed. I think I think the Broncos keep it close. I think they've found their formula. Um, I think they've got an opportunity to run the ball against the Chiefs, and these two teams always play tight games. Vic Fangio is going to be ready. I do like the Broncos to win by 10. I think Kansas City wins the game by, I think, 4 to 8 points, but I think the Broncos are in it right to the bitter end. And uh, I think they give Patrick Mahomes fits. The defense kind of found its way against uh, Los Angeles, against the Chargers. And I think they're going to keep it going in another big divisional matchup against those Chiefs. So uh, enjoy it out there. Folks, that's our Week 12, what we've learned. That's our preview of Week 13 and a big matchup on uh, Monday Night Football. Like we said, next week, we're hoping to give you some Instagram Lives. We're going to be doing a Twitter Spaces we're going to be in Minnesota for the Thursday night game, Pittsburgh at Minnesota. We're going to be in Cincinnati at 425 on Sunday for the 49ers and the Bengals. So we've got some big matchups. We've got some fresh content coming live from those two cities. So keep your eyes open for that. We're also going to have our weekly podcast as well, releasing on Wednesday morning. Make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And our pick sixes, I'm starting to find my way. Hey, season long, 86, 92, and 2 in the 180 games that have been played through 12 weeks. So still hovering around that 500 spot. I haven't broke the broke your bank if you've been following along and, and making those picks. In those pick sixes since week three when we started it, we're 30, 31, and 3. We're 9 and 3 here. So we're catching fire here in week 11 and week 12, hoping to keep it going. Let's get another 4 and 2, 5 and 1, or our first 6 and 0. Oh. And make the make uh, the listeners out there a few shekels along the way, and we'll catch you on the flip side after break. Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the. Y'all don't really want it like yeah. Here comes the, no. Here comes the. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. And now let's flip it over to the golf side. After a big week next week with some uh, on or live on site um, content here from Triple G and our weekly podcast talking about uh, the upcoming matchups. In two weeks from now, we are going to have the return of Ju- of Dutch. Sorry, I almost called him uh, Dutch, combination of of John and Dutch. But uh, we're going to have Dutch back, and we're going to do a little golf breakdown, a year in review. So we're not going to dive too much into it. But I wanted to talk 
specifically about um, a few people specifically, and then uh, a couple shout outs here. But let's end it off. Uh, Champions Tour, Bernard Longer holds on for the race to the Charles Schwab Cup. But uh, just previewing a little debate Dutch and I are going to have, we're going to get into a debate. Who is the greatest Champions Tour player of all time? And we're going to talk about Bernard Longer and Hale Irwin and their careers in a couple weeks. So uh, keep your eyes open for that in a couple weeks. But Champions Tour, we've got first stage of qualifying. I wanted to give a shout out to uh, a few local Canadians and uh, former colleagues of mine, Dennis Hendershot, Danny King, Ian Doig. Uh, Dennis Hendershot is T8 or 8th outright right now. The top 18 make it through that first stage. I believe he's got one or I believe he's got one more round left or they've got one more round left. Top 18 make it, so he fired a, a 2 under today to get himself um inside red figures after a one over yesterday, so he's uh plus or minus 1 through two rounds at Orange Orange County National in Florida. And Danny King ain't too far behind him in T9. Um, Danny was uh, second place outright heading into uh, the second round after day one. Fired a two under on uh, on day one, two over on day two. So he's sitting at even par, well inside that 18th place. He's got a two-shot buffer going in here. And then um, shout out to Ian Doig, who also did his qualifying, uh, I believe, a couple weeks ago. He's got one of the alternate spots for this final stage. So... Um, fingers crossed for him. Hope he can get in. I hope all three of these guys can get in. A couple other Canadians down there that are struggling. I'm going to need something special um, over the next couple days here. But um, I hope three of those three guys specifically can make their way into the final stage of the uh, Champions Tour qualifying. I've always said it's one of the toughest tours out there to make. But uh, i am got my fingers crossed for all three of those guys. And if any one of them can get in, that would be absolutely phenomenal. On to this week. Uh, we do have an event this week. We're not going to have picks for it because it's uh, kind of, for for me, it's the first of the silly events. And it's the Hero World Challenge. What a great field. Absolutely phenomenal. So um, um, keep your eyes open for that. And it's Tiger's event. And we had Tiger have the press conference this morning. And let me tell you, folks. Um, those that know me close, I've been on the Peloton and, and doing my workouts and trying my best, but Tiger Woods, we know what happened with the leg and the ankle and everything in the, in the lower body, but that man did not miss an arms workout. He looks jacked from, uh, from an upper body perspective. The arms are looking good. The back's looking good. Um, he looks like uh, 2004 Tiger. Just absolutely ripped uh, in that upper body. So, But in all seriousness, great to have Tiger back. Um, looks like we're going to get him at the father-son or the uh, the parent uh, parent challenge. I The PNC challenge, I always, my, my apologies, I always call it the father-son challenge. It's not um, because we've had all types of parents in here now for the, for the last few years. And it, it shouldn't be the father-son challenge. It should just be the parent-child challenge, the PNC challenge. Um, everybody will know what it'd be once we, we get that thought out of our mind. So um, let's hope he can play um, with Charlie and, and get out there and, and hit a few. And, you know, whether he shoots 50 or he shoots 34, who cares? Um, just great to have Tiger back. And and to hear what he had to say, real excited that, that he is still holding out hope that he can come back and return and play on the tour. 
and and have a limited schedule. I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that. Um, I don't want Tiger to to fade off into the sunset and and for this to be the end. I'm not expecting him to to go out and win another major or or maybe not even win another golf tournament. But if he can go out there and compete and and get into contention and and playing six to eight events a year, and if he can do that, you know, four or five times, and you know maybe one or two or three more times he can get into contention in a major. Wouldn't that be something? Um, I've always believed that Tiger was never going to play the Champions Tour. Uh, When you put that much into something and you're that dominant for 10 to 12 years, by the time you hit 50, I just, I believed he, he, he was not maybe burnt out isn't the right word, but I think, I think he was done. I think, I think that was always the case. And, I think with all of the injuries that have accumulated here now over the last decade, um, I just can't see him playing the Champions Tour. And if he does, I think it's going to be very limited. So for me at this point in Tiger's career, great to hear that he wants to come back. Give me a few more tournaments with him in contention, and I'll be content uh, for him at that point to fade off into the sunset. But uh, great to hear, great to see, great to have him back. That's uh, that's my thoughts on it. Because let's be honest, um, not many athletes, including Michael Jordan and, and Wayne Gretzky, maybe Gretzky, but definitely not Jordan, were as dominant for as long as what Tiger Woods was as dominant for. Like, folks, we're talking 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years of dominance of of just being the best, hands down the best in your sport, no questions asked, period, and possibly the most dominant athlete in sports across uh, worldwide and any sport. So that's to me why I never saw Tiger competing in the Champions Tour, but um, excited to have him back. Next one, uh, next person I wanted to talk about was uh, was Rory McIlroy. And what happened down in uh, in Dubai in the Emirates in that last event? I love Rory, great ambassador for the game. Um, love what he does, and to me, great to see. Uh, it, it truly is because I would never want Rory to um, not be himself and not lose that passion. Anybody who plays golf professionally, let alone competitively, let alone seriously on even an amateur level or just seriously at a club level, um, we've all been there. We've all um, ripped a glove or broke a club or thrown a club or smacked a club off the side of your bag or um, hit yourself or had serious negative self-talk we've all been there that's what this game and this sport does to you and for those one that want to sit out there and and say well you know you're not providing a good example and to the kids and fuck off seriously what Rory McIlroy does for the game of golf not many not many athletes not many golfers do he's a worldwide ambassador the way he speaks so candidly to the media to the golf fan base, um, rabid and um, not so rabid, or just um, 
part-time helps grow the game. So for one time that Rory McIlroy had an opportunity to close things out and, and he failed, you know what? I'm okay with Rory doing what he did and, and I think it shows his passion and I think it shows how bad he still wants it and, and I'm happy to see that and I'm excited to see that Rory still has that passion and I hope he gets it back because um, things have kind of, you know, he's kind of fallen overboard here for the last five years and things are kind of gone wayward for Rory McIlroy and we've seen that at the Ryder Cup and we've seen that at at a few events over the, over 2021 here. And um, I'm expecting big things from Rory McIlroy in 2022. And I want thing, big things from Rory because I want to see Rory not only get back in the winner's circle, but I want to see him get back in, in the major winner's circle. And like we're talking about a guy that can win multi-majors in a year type of talent. And uh, we need to see that from Rory. He needs to be the next guy to step it up and really um, – take over the game and and we need another period here for from Rory to to win four five six seven eight majors and and for him to put himself into the upper echelon of that conversation of greatest players to ever play the game and he's got the talent um he's clearly got the passion so excited I'm excited to see Rory do that I think everybody needs to take a chill pill if you're judging him let the man have his moment Great to see the passion. Rory, I got no problem with it, and I love you, bud. Want to talk about the DP World Tour? Quick shout-out, um, and unfortunate. Uh, great finish to the season. They go to start it off in South Africa, and COVID rears its ugly head, and a bunch of events have been canceled. So tough way to start for the DP World Tour, slash European Tour, whatever you want to call it. Um, but a tough start. So let's keep our eyes open, and let's hope um, all, the, every, all the golfers can uh, – can get home safely, get quarantined, be healthy, and we can uh, start fresh when uh, when all this uh, goes away here in terms of uh, the schedule for the DP Challenge. Lastly, the Saudi International, big announcement and a big time frame that they announced. Uh, looks like their event, February 3rd to the 6th, has some big, big committed names, and it is on the same time frame as the Pebble Beach AT&T International, and that's huge. Listen, I know the field at Pebble hasn't been what it once was, um, not even close, but it's still Pebble. It's still a marquee event on the West Coast swing of the PGA Tour, and you are going to have the likes of Phil Mickelson, DJ, Abraham Answer, uh, Lee Westwood, Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Kevin Na, Bryson, Sergio, Tyrrell Hatton, Paul Casey, Shane Lowry, Ian Poulter, Xander Shoffley, Harold Varner III, the list goes on, 20-plus um, golfers playing in Saudi. Um, real interesting to see. It sounds like the PGA Tour is still deciding how they want to handle this situation and what's going to happen, but uh, they're going to need to decide real quick here. Um, because we're a month away from this 2022 part of the season kicking up um, out in Kapalua and getting this started. So it'll be real interesting to see moving forward. Dutch and I are going to talk a lot more about it in our year-end in review, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Folks, that's all I've got from a golf perspective. Absolutely another stacked episode this week on Triple G. 
thanks again to uh, Anthony Prohaska for uh, joining us from Cover One, talking uh, Patriots, Bills, Monday Night Football. Anthony, enjoy the football game. Folks, I hope you enjoy some great Week 13 football here in the NFL. And uh, we enjoy those big games. You've got a big game slotted at all of the time slots. 1 o'clock Bengals Chargers. 4 o'clock slot, you got Ravens Steelers or Washington and Vegas. Sunday night football, you got Broncos and Chiefs. Monday night football, you got Patriots and Bills. So uh, as much as the schedule's not shaping up your way, you still got a game or two in each time slot to hone in on and focus in on. So enjoy that. Enjoy the Hero World Challenge and seeing some of the, the top 30 golfers in the world play in the Bahamas. You'll get more from Tiger Woods as the week moves on as well. And folks, we will catch you next week live on location. We'll have our regular weekly podcast. We'll catch you from Minnesota. We'll catch you from Cincinnati. So look out on all of the social media, on Instagram and Twitter specifically. Catch our uh, weekly pick six on Saturday on Facebook and all the social medias. We're looking forward to it. Ending the year strong on Triple G. And we'll catch you next week. Thank you.